Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership Podcast. Subscribe now so you don't miss a drop of straight talk you can't get anywhere else. We discuss the whiskeys to drink, music to listen to, and what it really takes to be an effective leader. I'm your host, Galen Bingham, the leadership strategist. Tonight's guest, globally recognized thought leader, author, and yoga instructor, Faith Hunter. Hey, what you drink? Okay, guys, we are at it again. And I am absolutely committed to responding to the universe. Whenever I meet someone and I hear a small voice saying, there is something about this person that you need to get to know more, I'm just yielding to it. And that's exactly what happened with this person I'm about to introduce you to. Miss Faith Hunter is just absolutely brimming with energy. And I've got her here. She is here on Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership. How are you doing, Faith? How are you doing? Welcome to the show. (laughs) Hi, how are you? Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing really well, by the way. Well, you know, I'm excited about this conversation for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, you and I met on Clubhouse. And and actually, when I turned on Clubhouse, I actually wasn't supposed to be listening. I was on my way somewhere and I got tired of the radio. So I just said, well, let me just see what Clubhouse is all about. I turned on and I just heard you talking and it was all I could do not to be part of the conversation. And I waited and waited because just what you were talking about was just speaking to where I was and where I am. And I'm just so excited to have you on the show because this is just absolutely going to, this is going to make a difference in my listeners' lives. So I've got a lot of questions for you because I, right. I, I really, really have been looking forward to this conversation. But my first question, and everyone, everyone is waiting for this question. So I'm going to just go ahead and go into it. So what you drinking? Well, you know, because I knew that I was coming on with you and the name of your podcast, I was like, I felt like I needed a cocktail because usually I'm drinking water or a smoothie, but it is evening. And so this evening I am having a port and I normally don't drink port. However, 
a friend gave me a bottle of port. I can't even remember the name of it. And they gave it to me as a housewarming gift a year ago. And so for some reason, two days ago, I decided to open it and start drinking. I was like, oh my God, this is really good. (laughs) All right. All right. Well, I, 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 I endorse port. I don't drink a whole lot of wine. Mm-hmm. When I do, I usually I usually veer towards the port. So that's a good call. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, and I was sharing with you before that this is this is actually a spiritual decision that I go through, the process that I go through with determining the whiskey that I'm going to drink based upon my guest. So I, I'm going to go with one of my new favorites. Uh, this is Baker's Seven. It is single barrel. It's 107 proof. So this is like absolutely real stuff. I'm going to show you since you can, you could see it's, it's, this is like real stuff. 107 proof. It's pretty. It's, it's, it's pretty. It's got some real, some real juice to it. But the thing about it is it's available almost anywhere you want to go. You can find this. Mm -hmm. It's not overly expensive. It's one of those juices that could become anyone's favorite. And that is the energy that I get from our, our small connection that we had on Clubhouse several months ago. And I, I've been stalking you a little bit on Instagram. And, and that's the feeling that I get. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and, and open this up. All right. All right. Pour me in just a little bit. So, so while you're doing that, I, I have a question for you. Do you typically do it on the rocks or you just drink it neat? See, I, I'm a neat kind of guy. Uh, okay. But uh, during the warm weathers, I've been known to drop a couple of ice cubes in so I can do it over okay. the rocks. Okay. And quite as it's kept, I've, I've kind of gotten into old fashioned. So cocktails. <gasps> well, I know how to actually make those. <sighs> I knew we would be friends. I knew we'd be friends. So I'm going to drink what is quickly becoming one of my favorites. As um, I enjoy this, I would love for you to share a little bit about your background, because just the little bit that I heard from you on Clubhouse, like I said, I I wasn't even planning on being on, but I, I heard about your background. Then I heard your conversation. and. I literally waited for an hour just to have a a small verbal interchange with you on Clubhouse when I wasn't even supposed to be on Clubhouse. Mm. So if you could just share a little bit about your background so we can get into this conversation, I'm going to sit back and enjoy my Baker 7. All right. Sounds good. Well, um, again, thank you so much for having me and uh, cheers. Cheers. I'm going to have a sip before I explain everything. Please do. So just a little bit about my gra- my background. I'm, I'm a Louisiana girl. I grew up in Grambling where the world famous Grambling State University is located. And uh, I grew up there. So I'm definitely a Southern country girl. However, I had to, my dad was in the military, so um, we didn't necessarily travel a lot with him, but we traveled enough to know about the world. And he always encourages uh, encouraged us as kids to be adventurous, explore, and yeah, learn about other cultures and other people. And you know, as I was growing up, things 
along with having that support system, right, of both my mom and my dad, we also, as a family, we went through a very traumatic moment in the 80s. And that's kind of what brought me to the practice of yoga. My Both of my brothers, my older brother and younger brother, were diagnosed with HIV as a result of blood products. And so when they were diagnosed with HIV, that was the 80s. Nobody knew what was going on. I feel like it's like it was like the the pandemic that we're experiencing now, like COVID now, but it was with a small sector of people, right? Only people that were infected were the ones experiencing it. And everybody else were afraid of those individuals. And so we kept that as a family secret, right? For a very long time, right into the 90s. And in the 90s, I decided to go public. I mean, by then my older brother had already gone public um, around his HIV status. And so I started diving into HIV AIDS work and community-based service work, ended up graduating from Grambling, long story short, ended up going to, to get my MBA in New Orleans. And while I was there, I worked for the health department for a while. Working for the health department and in government and doing helps assisting nonprofits threw me into DC. So I left New Orleans, graduated from Loyola, moved to DC and started working for the National Minority AIDS Council. But the interesting part, in between my graduate school and moving to DC, my older brother died. And when my older brother died, it was really like a whole year of like mourning because he had already finished medical school. He was practicing medicine. He was doing his residency. And he decided as a personal choice to stop taking his meds. And if anybody knows, the meds that were out in the 90s are nothing like they are now. Like they were extremely harsh on your body, like extremely toxic. And so he made that decision and he spent a year in New Orleans back and forth in the hospital after he he left um, his residency because he just couldn't do it anymore. And during that time period, that's when I was introduced to yoga. Started practicing, dedicated myself to it because that was my outlet. It was my time and I describe a lot. It was my time to finally cry and experience some emotion. It was also this opportunity for me to practice some self-care because, I mean, my mother wasn't modeling self-care. My my father wasn't modeling self-care. I think probably the only person that was modeling some self-care was my brother when he said that he was going to like focus on medicine. And then he was like, okay, this is my personal choice. Like, And even though it didn't seem like self-care at the moment, it was for him because it was a choice around his own health and well-being because he knew what was going to make him happy at that moment in time. So moved to DC, continued to practice my yoga, continued to work in nonprofit, got tired of working in nonprofit, decided I was going to take a personal holiday. And I went to Jamaica for about two weeks to hang out. And I was like, what, what, what the hell am I going to do next? I don't know. So came back to DC, quit my job, and told my employer that I'm moving to New York. And they're like, what? What are you going to do? I was like, I don't know. I like literally, I had no idea. I was like, okay, let me take my savings, figure out how I can like navigate this and just figure my next steps out. Switch gears completely because I mean, I have an MBA, I have a marketing and communications degree. And so I ended up working for EMI record company because I had worked for a radio station when I was really young. So I was like, okay, I have a, like some music industry connections and friends and la la la. And they hooked me up with a job. But during that time in New York, all I was doing was doing yoga. So I was like going to the yoga studio, working a little bit, going to yoga studio, working a little bit, just back and forth. And then at some point in time, I decided that I wanted to do a yoga teacher training, but that was 
years after, I want to say probably maybe not years, maybe like a year and a half after 9-11 happened, 9-11 happened in September. My father died in November, a week before Thanksgiving Mm. of that year of 2001. And three months after that, three or four months after that, I was like, okay, something has to be different. I started going to therapy, kept doing my yoga. And then about a year from there, I ended up enrolling in yoga teacher training. And from that moment of enrolling in 2002 and finally graduating in 2003 with my yoga certification, I had no idea that I would be where I am now, but I knew that I would be of service. Um, And I knew that I was, there was something inside of me that said, you have to take these practices, these healing tools and share them with other people. Kind of like, you know, we all get these pings and we don't listen sometimes, but I got that ping and I was like, all right, I've been getting the, I got the ping to leave my job that I was, that I love, but I hate it at the same time. I got the pings to say, you know what? Don't go back into nonprofit, do something different because I think I needed that, that breather to just have some space to still make a living, but have some, it was almost like a bridge job to what I was moving into next. And then having the opportunity to go through a a traumatic moment and give myself some more self-care, some more love, some more space, and then listen to my intuition to say, I'm going to become a yoga teacher was, was magical. Wow. I mean, that's, that's not, uh, a journey that anyone would sit down and 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 design. No, <laughs> nothing by design. Not a single thing. You know, I am just really in this space where I'm becoming more and more aware of the the physical existence of spiritual beings, opposed to the other way around. Right? You know, for me. Spiritual has always been what has existed in between all the physical beings. And I'm really kind of in this space where I'm I'm really starting to appreciate that there's a whole lot more that we don't understand than there is that we do. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would just love to get your, your thoughts about, because becoming a yoga instructor is not something that people, I don't know that people would say, I'm going to go to school, get my MBA, and then become a yoga instructor. It's it's yeah. something that usually people have this calling. This to your point, this this ping. Talk to me a little bit about how you were able to surrender to this spiritual thing that doesn't necessarily always make sense from mm-hmm. an analytical standpoint. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I shared a little bit earlier that I grew up in Louisiana and I grew up in the Baptist church and I was very steeped in religion for most of my childhood. I probably would say not until high school when I started just experiencing this disconnect from God. And I talk about it a little bit in my book where I literally cursed God for a really long time because of what I felt was something that really traumatized our entire family. And I was like, how, how could God give both of my brothers HIV? Like, I mean, like what, what's going on? God, like, come on now. What we don't, as a family, we don't need to learn this lesson. So I cursed God for a really long time, separated myself from religion um, and the belief in spirituality. But when I showed up on my yoga mat and I started 
experiencing a sense of transformation and not transforming into somebody else, but I start transforming back into me, right? Back into that, that younger self that believed in something bigger, that believed in the magic. Mm-hmm. And so when I made the, the choice to, to listen, to start to listen to my pings, it was a journey. So it's like these tiny little steps of trusting that whatever you want to label it, divine, divinity, God, Allah, like your higher power, like whatever that name is, I started trusting in that energy again. But I always tell this to my mom, that was the result of me uncovering and discovering the yoga practice, Mm -hmm. giving myself space to sit in meditation. And even now, like in those moments where I am having difficulty understanding the challenging moments in my life, I have to get quiet. I have to pause. I have to stop. And when that happens, God speaks like Mm -hmm. big time. Even in that speaking, we have the choice to to listen because we can we ignore most of the time. I'm not gonna lie. Even sometimes I'm like, nah, that's too scary. Like I'm like, you want me to do what? Okay. And because sometimes it doesn't come in the form of like faith, you need to do the X, Y, and Z, but it comes in the form of an idea. Mm-hmm. It comes in the form of a friend showing up and sharing something. It comes in the form of sometimes even just like opening your phone or getting a phone call, and it's a random thing some email popping into your email box and you're like, Hmm, that's, that's been calling me. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, and I heard you say the word choice maybe four or five times already that uh, we get these messages, we get these hunches, we get these inspirations, but we get to choose whether or not we're going to pay attention to that, whether or not we're going to act on that. And that is really hitting me hard because like I said, there was something about that moment that I decided to literally, I I was on my way to a client appointment and I was late to my client appointment because there was something that really urged, required, needed me to hear Mm -hmm. the conversation that was going on. I can't even remember the person that you were speaking with, but you were telling your story and I was just really taken by this courage to follow a path that, let's face it, that path does not make sense analytically, right? No. It, it just doesn't make sense. But because you followed that voice, that ping, I, I like to say in my work, I like to say you opened the gate, you opened the gate to Oz. I mean, it was a to- it's a totally different world. And we haven't even talked about some of the things that you're doing now, but I I don't know that you could have seen or anticipated some of the things that you're doing now on the other side of, I'm just going to tell you, like my, like my folks told me, that's a crazy decision. That's me. My mother thought I was crazy, even though she did pay for yoga teacher training. She still thought it was crazy. Uh huh. Your your mother and my mother may be related then because she would have said the exact same thing. She's like, girl, I don't know what you're doing. No. <laughs> so, so talk a little bit about the courage. And yeah. you, I don't know if you, if you see it as courage or as courageous, uh, or if it's just become so much of who you are now that, that you, you recognize that as the path that you had to be on. But talk a little bit about being on the other side of that decision yeah. to quit your job, 
or as my mom said, you're good paying, you're good paying job, good paying job. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to move to the other side of the world, to New York. What was that internal dialogue yeah. that resulted in you saying, I- I'm going to do this. It doesn't make sense, but I'm going to do it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really interesting because it did take a lot of courage and it took the courage to trust my instincts. And I think about us, you know, I'm 50 years old, like I'm 51. (laughs) Sometimes I forget. I'm like, what year is this anyway? And so, you know, being that age, and then I think back to when I was in my twenties, right. And in my twenties, I, I didn't even fully know who I was, but I knew that there was some, there, there had to be something different. I knew that I wanted something different, but I didn't even know what I fully even wanted. So moving to New York and like taking that big leap of faith and trusting was, was very courageous because I knew I couldn't remain on the same path that I was in. And part of that is that there was this inner knowing that that was not my my road anymore. Mm. That was not where I needed to go. And it was a lot of trust. And it's really fascinating because even after becoming a yoga teacher, you know, as you shared, there there was no plan. Um, At the time when I became a yoga teacher, there really weren't that many black yoga teachers. You know, it was a very, very white space. and the handful of black wellness professionals was even smaller. So it took even more courage for me to stay on the path. (laughs) And even today, as I see myself shifting and changing, I've, I've owned yoga studios. I've been on the cover of magazines, inside magazines. I have two books, like all of that kind of stuff related to wellness. Every morning that I wake up is another step of courage that I have to take because there'll be something that's going to knock me down. There's going to be something that, that I'm going to be angry about. There's going to be something that is going to sideswipe me and that's going to be unexpected. And I'm like, I'll doubt myself. I mean, it's, I'm definitely extremely human. There's a lot of insecurity. There's a lot of doubt, it, but it is also this aspect of courage and stepping forward. I'll, um, I'll let your listeners know one thing because it is like right now, it's just a really weird energetic time for me. I closed my yoga studio in September, uh, a month after my book came out. So my book came out in September of August. I closed my yoga studio in September after 11 years. And I took off like two months. Then I started figuring out what I wanted to do. And now I have this new platform. And basically, this is a brand new business. And like I wake up every morning, like, holy crap, what did I do? <laughs> what did I do? So I had to like go back to, and it's interesting. I had to go back to a thing that I recommend in my book to the people that read my book. I recommend writing yourself love notes, affirmations, and putting those love notes and affirmations on your refrigerator in your bathroom, like wherever, by your door, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, two days ago, I typed out my little notes, printed them out and put them right there on my mirror so that I could wake up every morning and like read them and like remind myself of, of who I am because mm. yeah, it never stops. Like you're saying, Satan just like, don't stop. Cause I, 
You know, I, I'll tell you now. I'm gonna tell, I'm gonna tell the full story here because I, I have been so amazed and fascinated and and honored to have so many amazing guests on this podcast. And we've talked to I don't even know how many. I think sixty amazing people. Uh, so I've done this thing a bit, but today everything was just. My computer screen was flashing, and I was getting messages I've never seen before. And you know, I hit the on button, and it didn't come on. And for me, the way I translate that is, somebody doesn't want this message to get out. There, there is an energy out here that is really threatened by what it is that we are about to sh- that we are about to share, and therefore, I'm committed to making sure that we can have this conversation. Yes. Yes. You know, and I'll tell you, 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 you're a little bit, you're a little modest. Now, you know, if, if, if you guys are, if you guys are, are uh, VIPs, then you're going to get the full bio on Ms. Hunter here. So you're going to see all the amazing things that she's done. But there are a few out here who aren't VIPs. So you, you might not know the full story, but when she says she, she appears on the cover of magazines, not just magazines. She's been in Essence. She's been in Black Enterprise. She's been in Women's Health, Shape, New York, and Yoga Magazine. She's been on The Real Housewives of Potomac. She's the real thing. This is the real thing. As a matter of fact, would this be a stretch if I were to say that if they pick up a yoga magazine and they see a chocolate sister on in the in on a picture is probably you. Is that is that a stretch? I mean, it's not a stretch, but I, it's funny because right now I'm I'm hunting down a magazine that I can't find. <laughs> I, I so I there's an article in Health this month that talks about my meditation space, and I didn't get a copy, and I'm like waiting for my copy, and um, yeah. So every now and then there's there'll be something that pops up. But not every magazine. Not every. Okay. Okay. Well, this is leading me to a question. I mean, yoga is not something that I see a lot of African-Americans getting into. Mm -hmm. I just I just don't see it. I'm not going to say that black folks don't do yoga. I just don't see it. Uh, as much. And I certainly don't see a lot of African-American instructors. Is that just because I'm not in that space or is that is that a reality? Definitely, I would probably say 10 years ago, that was a huge reality. Like it, the numbers were really, really small in terms of the number of, of Black people that practice yoga. Over the past 10 years, that number has definitely increased. But when you look at the number and billions of people that practice yoga worldwide, it's not that many. And, you know, I have this major issue when it comes to Black yoga teachers. Like, there are some really, really good Black yoga teachers out there, and myself included. And we have to, now I feel like I'm talking about the judge. Uh Uh-oh. Come on. Come on. We have to jump over hoops. We have to prove our authenticity in order to be recognized and to be paid in these spaces. Um, a lot of people may or may not know, I I don't manage myself. I stopped managing myself probably a little over 10 years ago. And part of that is 
I just couldn't get the respect. Like I couldn't get the contracts negotiated in the, in terms of what my worth was. And so that does happen a lot. The other piece is that we know that the practice of yoga in terms of the way that it is presented here in the U.S. is definitely the roots come are originated from India, right? So you go to yoga class, it's lots of Indian influence. But the thing that is really, really not discussed is totally discounted is that the practice of yoga can be seen in hieroglyphics in Kenneth. Like it was spoken in Kenneth, like how to meditate. Here are the energy centers, the chakras. Um, in my book, I talk about how the river Nile is this kind of representation of our spine and the temples that are placed along the river Nile going from south to north are honoring the energy centers in our bodies, meaning the chakras that are in our bodies. I don't know about y'all, but that seems like that's way before in, before Hinduism. I'm just, I'm just saying. And so we don't talk a lot about that. And as a result, Black teachers aren't highlighted and they aren't pushed forward. Like, I feel like I've been very blessed to, to be in all these places and to, to be on these magazine covers. I think that is also part of my path because that is part of the opening the door. But at the same time, I'm still like constantly grinding. Yeah. Because we're there. And then the other thing that I want to add when it comes to, to black practicing yoga they don't trust us either. Like I, you know what? I must, it must be this port having me say this out loud because I've I've never said this before. When I look at my my yoga businesses, right, and when I first opened my yoga studio in DC, the first one, DC was still Chocolate City at the time. It was doing its morphing, but it was still Chocolate City, and we had an extremely diverse clientele. When I opened my second studio eleven years ago. Still, my studio was diverse, but people really thought that when they walked into my studio that they were going to see more Black people. I would be teaching. I had probably a 75% Black or Asian staff, right? And that's including people that are working the front desk as well as the Mm -hmm. teachers. And our room would still be maybe 30 to 40% people of color. And then I would go to like other yoga students. I'm like, do y'all even know that there's more than one? Cause I wasn't the only one by, you know, years later, there's multiple black yoga studios in DC or in the DMV area, but you don't support them hmm. at the same level that you support white owned studios. And and I noticed this because I'm looking at my fellow business owners that are Black, and our growth of our business didn't even compare. Wow. Because our people were not supporting us. Wow. You know, there is a a passion that I sense just in hearing you speak that uh, I can't put my finger on where that's coming from. So, w- w- what do you believe is the is underneath this passion that I hear in your voice about your journey, about um, your truth, 
about obviously your business, but there's a there's a there's a passion that I'm I'm used to hearing from HBCU grads. I'm I'm just gonna tell you, HBCU alums usually come with a little with a little you know heat, but I'm sensing a little. Talk to me about the passion that I'm hearing. My goodness, yeah, I guess we do come with a little heat. Um, you know, I think the biggest piece is that when I open my business. The reason that I opened my business is because I was working when I first moved to or moved back to DC to teach. I was working for a white-owned yoga studio, and I taught not just yoga classes, but I also would train because they had a yoga training program. And so I was one of the lead trainers, right, um, for the training program. And I'm like looking at how much I'm making, and then I mean, I, I have an MBA. I know how, I can do the numbers of who's coming into the room, who's doing the teacher trainings, like all these things that I'm doing the numbers. And I'm like, something's not right. So I decided to shift gears and open my own space because there were days upon days that I would walk into that studio and would be the only person of color in that space. And I'm the teacher. And so as years progressed, so this was like 2007. So as years progressed, more and more black people started practicing, but they weren't respecting our people. And I think this comes back to why sometimes people choose not to go and study at a historically black university because they think that it is less than, it's subpar. Hey, it's not too late. Hit that subscribe button so you're sure to catch the next episode. If you're really enjoying the vibe, leave us a review or become a VIP for guests and show exclusives. Cheers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.